I am so blessed. I am, I've been blessed from the time I've landed here. It's been incredible. I don't know if you heard about yesterday. There was like uh, 170 police officers here. Your church, I'm going to get them. They were, they were incredible. They're all dressed. They were, had the same stuff on, and they're serving these police officers. And they can be tough. I see one or two of them in here uh, tonight. They could be a tough crew. But they just, your church just ministered to them. And the mayor was here. I, I was just so impressed with everything. And then tonight, the worship. Amanda, the worship team, incredible, incredible stuff. So let me get right into my text. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, this evening. I thought this would be a great text. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, you know, I thought especially being 2024, out with the old and with the new, you know, I've been hearing a lot of those uh, evangelists or the TV people saying an open door for 24, and I, I like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as, as you look at, as we're coming in, we're coming into this, this new year, I, I think it's great we got communion tonight, and it's a good time to just prepare our hearts to think, where am I in the faith? You know, am I just coasting? Am I just, you know, just going through? Or am I all in? See, the church at Corinth, when you, you know, you, you've studied the church at Corinth, the, the church at Corinth, they were, uh, you know, Paul talks about them. He says, he even remarks that they lacked in no spiritual gifts. They had all the gifts going on. But they were a carnal church. He, he basically tells them in chapter three, he says, you're worldly. You're a worldly church. And I think what happens, because I've been a Christian now for 44 years, there can tend to be sometimes where you just play as close to the edge as you can. You know, with this church, especially in chapters 8 and 9, he talks about the gray areas of the faith where, you know, can a Christian drink? Uh, can, you know, I love that one. Can a Christian dance? And I always tell them, some can, some can't. You should not dance. But, but again, they were getting as close to the edge as possible. And so Paul, if you look down at verse 12, I love it, what he says to them. He says, therefore, let him, her, who thinks they stand, take heed, lest they fall. And I think that's a great, great way to, as you're going into 24. I mean, I'm sure your church has seen great things. You've been doing great things. But it's very easy to begin to just want to coast and just go through your faith. And, you know, Paul, he gets this, this text that he shares to us. This is very obvious in Proverbs 16, 18. There Solomon tells us, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And I love verse 20. He says, he who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he or her. The wise person, the person God can use, the person that God can speak to. We're all familiar with that verse, a humble and contrite heart. He will not despise. But when we get prideful and we think, I got this Christian thing down. I could do this thing. I, I can just go. You find yourself just going through the motions in church, standing up, sitting down, and just going through the, the motions. And this is who Paul is talking about here. This is the church he's trying to, to, to speak to here at this time. And I know for me, for myself, 
I want to finish well. You know, I can really relate in chapter nine towards the end there where Paul talks about that athlete. You know, he, he, he does everything. In fact, look at verse 27 of chapter nine. He says there, but I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection or I, I bring it under mastery, under my control. At least when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. See, Paul understood, listen, I don't want to be disqualified. Now, that's not saying that you're not going to be saved anymore, that, that, that uh, you know, because I, I, I personally believe the Lord saved me. I don't believe I can lose my salvation. But what Paul is talking about here, about being disqualified, he, he's talking about being a castaway. The Hebrew writer talks about it in Hebrews 2, least you drift away. And I've seen it. I've seen Christians. We all know Christians personally who began the race with us. But where are they today? They're no longer walking with the Lord anymore. And so it, this is what he's talking about here when he talks about being disqualified. In fact, a great verse. I, I came across it two days ago in my devotional, 2 Timothy 2.21. There Paul says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he's talking about a dishonor, being that person that's not contrite, not humbly before the Lord. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he or she will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. See, that's where I'm at. I want to finish well. I don't want to be put on the shelf. I was talking to Travis and, and Zach, you know, pastors and it, it, you know, it, it's very easy. God does not need any of us. Isn't it interesting? Like sometimes we, we can maybe sometimes come into the faith and think, well, I'm pretty important. God needs me. He does not need anybody. See, I, I, I realize now I get to serve him. He's been so good to me. He's been so kind to me. So that's where, where my head's been at lately. I want to finish well for the Lord. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be put on the shelf. And this was the church at Corinth at this time who were living on the edge of Christianity. You know, they, they gloried in their grace when you read about them. Oh, we're grace. Grace covers everything. Yes, it does. This grace is so great. But we're called to live for the Lord. We're called to glorify him. And this is why Paul now, in chapter 10, he stops and he's, he's getting their attention and he reminds them about Israel. He gives him a warning there. He says, Israel, Israel was a blessed people. Like many of us, we've been called, we've been chosen, we've been predestined, we've been elected. I love those verses in Ephesians. This is what God did for us. He's accepted us, he chose us. But just like the children of Israel, it's interesting, not only does Paul talk about Israel as an example, Jew talks about them. Listen, they were a blessed people. But they, they fell. The angels, chosen of God, they fell. He talks about it in Jude. So look at verse one with me. He's gonna remind them they're a blessed people in the first four verses. He says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. I want you to take your pen and mark all five times here. He's saying, every one of us, we all began the race together. We all were, were blessed of God. Verse two, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. 
all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them in that rock was Jesus Christ. See what Paul's saying? Listen, I want to remind you, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware of this. Israel had blessings just like you. He gives five blessings here. They were all under the cloud. I love the picture of that. If you remember their journey, some scholars say about two million people. They're they're called. They were in captivity for 430 years. God frees them from the Egyptian captivity. They're going through the desert, all of them, under that hot sun. Picture it. This cloud covered them all. This is a big cloud here that covered them. And again, it talks about they're all under that cloud. They all experienced or they all passed through this sea. They all had that experience of, of seeing the Red Sea open. Can you imagine that? Where God supernaturally opened up the Red Sea before them. And then they saw that very, those very waves and that ocean just crash down upon the Egyptian army. They saw that. You would think, if I saw that, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to stay with the Lord, right? Number three, they were all baptized into Moses. That word baptized in the Greek, it's just, it's not speaking of water baptism. They were immersed. They were drenched. They were saturated in the teaching and the guiding and direction of Moses, it's telling us there. And they all ate that same spiritual food, manna. Manna bread, manna from heaven, manna gaudy. They had it all coming there to them. And number four, they all drank from the same spiritual drink. And I love it where it says that, that, that it all came from that rock. Paul, speaking of Jesus, Jesus was that rock. We've been in the book of Daniel on Sundays. And if you, if you, you remember in Daniel, it, it describes this stone, this small stone that he sees in the dream. And it becomes this mountain and it destroys all the powers of the world. And it was speaking, that rock was Jesus Christ. But verse five, this is the sad part. This is the reality. They all had these blessings, all these things. But verse five. But with most of them, God was not pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, if there's ever a more understatement, it's here. When he says all of them, now think of that. He's saying, but with most of them, when he says here, most of them, you're talking all but two people. Only two people from this group went into the promised land. You know the Bible. It was Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses didn't even make it in. And the rest of them, it talks about them being scattered, dying in the desert. But it's that verse right there that I have highlighted in my Bible. God was not pleased with them. You know, as I've been walking with the Lord and living with the Lord, that's my thing now. He's been so kind to me. You know, I don't have time to go into my, my background and what I came from, but I, I do not deserve what God has been, what he's done to me. I have a great wife, great kids, and, and I, I'm at this place now, Lord, I just want to please you. And it says, none of these people pleased the Lord. And so Paul tells us, look at verse six, he says, now these things, uh, uh, now these things, became our examples. These are our examples. Look down at verse 11. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples, 
and they were written for our admonishing upon whom the ends of the age have come. I like the way the New Living Translation says that last part. It says they were all written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. How many of you would say we're in the end of the age? Listen, we're in the end of the age. This is it. See, this is it. I really believe this. I really believe we, we're in a day and age where it, if we really pray, Lord, show me the finish line. The finish line is coming. I really believe the Lord's coming very soon. In fact, in Romans 15, 4, Paul would say it this way. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. See, this is a word to us saints. This is a warning for us tonight to take heed, to see where we're standing. Where are we with the Lord? Are we all in with the Lord? And you know, I remember when we did our study in the book of Hebrews and, and Hebrews 1140 says, for God had something better in mind for us. And I remember studying that verse, and that text is speaking, God has done much more for us, saints. Yes, the, the people of God, God did a great work with the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. But you think for you and I, we are under the cross. We are under such a great salvation. We are under such grace and mercy. I was just, we were worshiping here. I know you guys know that grace, and you know that mercy we too pass through a glorious sacrifice for us. Some of you, I, I, I don't know you personally, but I know that God does the supernatural. God does the impossible. Again, going back to my own testimony, what he did in my life was supernatural. And, and, and this, is, this is our testimony. In fact, maybe this is your testimony. Ephesians 2.4, I love it. Paul writes, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. That's our story, saints. We simply by faith believed in Jesus Christ. We simply by faith believed in the cross. We believed when Jesus was on that cross, he, because I believe in him, because I trusted in him, he, I was in Christ Jesus. When he died, I died. When he was put in that grave, I was with him. But when he resurrected, I was resurrected with him. See, that's our story. We all ate the same spiritual food. We've all been eating the manna from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. This Christmas for me was so special. You know, when you, you go through the whole nativity scene, Bethlehem, the house of bread, and little Jesus, little babe, this Jesus that came into this world. I love the picture where it shows the cradle, it shows Jesus there in the store, and it has the cross in the shadows. He came into this world for you and me. He so loved us. And we all drank that spiritual rock. We still drink that rock, right? That rock, that rock that promises us, even in some dry times and wilderness times, it's going to satisfy us. In John 7, 37, Jesus said this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink 
For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from their hearts. When he said living waters, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. He's given us the Holy Spirit, saints. There's a verse I love in Romans. You guys know it well. It's Romans 8.32. And Paul says there, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? I read that verse, what won't he give us? He saved us. He, he pulled us out of the darkness we were in. What makes you think he's not gonna finish that work in you? I love Paul where he says, for this I'm confident of, he who began this work in me, guess what? He's gonna finish it. And the same thing's true for you. And this is what Paul wanted this, this church to know. There are blessed people, God's with them. God had promises. But there were many at this time, look at verse five again, who did not please the Lord. They were disqualified. They were castaways. This is another old King James. They were shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. You know, when I, when I think of that, I, I think of so many that began this walk with me, but they're shipwrecked. What happened? What happened? Well, Paul's going to let us know what happened. He's going to list some five things that, that got attached to them somehow. And, and he's warning us here, we're not to let those things grab hold to us. See, he's called us to run this race, saints. We're in a race. You realize you're in a race. In fact, I love, I'm going to share it to you, Hebrews 12. I, I saturate you guys with scripture, so I just want you to know, Hebrews 12, write it down, Hebrews 12, 1. Listen to what it says there. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness, and I always think of that verse, those who are in heaven right now, it's talking about past saints now, people that were with us at one time, it's talking about David, it's talking about Moses, but guess what? They're in the stands. They can't run the race anymore. I see a lot of athletes here. Do you remember going to your first high school game? You graduated and you go to a high school from your old high school and you're there and you're like, give me a helmet. Get me back in that game. I'll kill these people. I could do this. And, 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 and this, is, this, is, this is the thing where I look at that and I'm saying, they're not in the race anymore. And then he says, let us. Let us lay aside every weight. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say sin. He'll say sin, but the weight. Actually, in the Greek, it's the word encumbrance. What's holding you back? What is it? I always love, I think it's Skip Isaac says, sometimes a good thing could be a bad thing if it's keeping you from the best thing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a career. I, I don't know. You know what it is, but it's holding you back. And he says, and the sin which so easily ensnares you. We're gonna have communion tonight. And the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna close our eyes and we see that sin, that sin that so easily ensnares us. We all have it. We all have that sin that just, you know, but I'm praying for 24, whatever that sin is, that's it, it's gone. No more, no more struggling with it. I'm gonna run this race. And then he says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And here's the key. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I always love that. When it speaks of Jesus now, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father. 
And it tells us over and over again, he's praying for us. I don't know what you've come in here with tonight or what's going on in your life personally, but if you could hear Jesus behind these walls praying for you, that would blow your mind, wouldn't it? Well, I want you to know he's praying for you. He's rooting for you. And he's given us the power. He's given us everything we need to live this victorious life. You know, one of the messages I always love to share in a new year is abiding in Christ. John 15, are you abiding in Christ? Are you remaining in Christ? That's the key. And these are the things now in verses 6 to 10 that he tells us we need to be careful for. Let's look there. Verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the extent, here's the first one, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ or test Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. How about this last one? Nor complain. The old King James would say murmur. Do I have any murmurers here today? You're complainers. You're constantly complaining. I didn't know. That's a sin. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he gives us five things to watch out in the coming days that could remove us and render us unusable for the Lord. And this is something we can look at our lives. You know, some of us, we began this walk. We were joyful. We were, we were on fire for the Lord. What happened? See, this is what I love about the Lord. At any time, we can stop, we can drop, and we can call on him and say, Lord, fill me again. Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. See, this is some of us here today, or, or even maybe watching online. I'll blame it on the people online. You people online that don't come to church, no. But, 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 but th this is what he's talking. You're dry. You're going through this life, and you're like, why? Why is my life like this? Because you're not all in with Christ. And this is why so many are discouraged and bitter and complaining. They're no longer serving. And instead of running in the race, they're limping. And others, instead of limping, they're just on the sidelines. And God would shout to his people. In fact, you're all familiar with it. It's Hebrews 3, verse 7. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says there. This is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested me and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So God says, so I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts are always turning from me. They've refused to do what I tell them. So in anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. And I know what that's like to be a castaway, to be on the sidelines, and you, do no, you no longer have his rest. See, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. He wants to give us rest. But this is what happens when, when we hold on to bitterness or we hold on to unconfessed sins. And we're going through this life, 
and we're unsatisfied. In fact, I love it. The psalmist, David says in Psalm 106, 15, he says, and he gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their souls. He gave them what, oh, Lord, I want this wife. I want this wife. He gave you the wife. You're not happy anymore. Oh, if we just had kids, we're going to be happy, right? That's what we think. If I just get the kids, Lord, give me, give me children. He gives you children. What? Oh, Lord, help me. You know, we're, we're, we're never satisfied. And, and this is what he's talking about here, trusting in him, looking to him. And so he's telling us here, this, this is, this is the, the, the circle that goes on. And Jesus says, you need to come to me. So look at the first one. We'll see how far we get tonight. I told Zach I'm ending exactly around 840, 845. The first one, stop desiring evil things. Now, Paul was very familiar with Israel's history here, especially their 40-year journey in the wilderness. And one of the things Israel did on a daily basis was they kept looking back, right? They kept complaining. Oh, you brought us out here to die, Moses. Look at, look at what, when, when we were in Egypt, things were good. In fact, they actually said this, Numbers 11, verse 4. Listen to what they said. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, the bad breath. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They were sick of the manna bread. They were tired of it. And they were complaining constantly before the Lord. And I think, again, these are written here to, to speak to us here today. Do we find ourselves sometimes looking back thinking, man, I had, I had a lot of friends when I was in the world. Oh, when I was in the world, I, I was just happy. But just like them, they, they forgot that they were slaves. They were beaten under the master's whip. Their children were being drowned. They forgot all those things. And they complained. See, our story, this was their story, is what Paul says was some of our stories in Ephesians 2.1. Who were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Do you remember that? See, I remember. I remember that. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and our mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as others. We just, we just wanted the, the world. We just wanted to satisfy this flesh. And what does Paul say? This flesh will never be satisfied. The woman at the well. Jesus said to her, you drink from, you, you, you drink from this well, you're going to thirst the rest of your life. Here's a woman that had five husbands, and she's living with someone. She was never happy. But the Lord says to you and I in Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ Jesus. See, Paul constantly writes to us and reminds us we were saved from that life. And that's why it's such sin to look back. The Bible says to anyone who, 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 who grabs hold, you're, you're not worthy to, to constantly look back and, and want that world, that, that scene back there, craving evil things. This is what it's talking about. 
Maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and you want out of your marriage. You want out of the restraints or of being under the restraints of God. You desire evil things. This is what's in your heart. But I, I want to remind you, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for what? A season. We all remember that. We were never satisfied. And so what happens is Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, we begin to desire these things in our hearts. See, that's where sin starts. It starts in your heart. What's going on in your heart? James tells us this in James 1.14. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And I've seen it. Many of you know my story. See, God was so good to me. Not only did he make me a pastor, he had to make me a pastor so I'd be in the Bible every day. But he also gave me a front row seat in the prison system. I worked in the prison system for 24 years. So I watched guys come in there. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about the way of the transgressor's heart. It, it talks about there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. I saw that on a daily basis where God would remind me, oh, you want to go back to the world? You want to go back to those things? And I'd watch guys coming in and seeing them have to spend the rest of their lives in prison because they let sin into their hearts and they didn't obey the Lord. So Paul's telling us we need to stop desiring evil things. I mean, we have the Bible. This is why the Bible is the best example. When I think of people that desire the sinful things, the worldly things, I always think of Samson. Samson's, there's three things I always remember about him. He ended his life blinded, binded, and just going in a circle, chained to a millstone. That's how his end was. I think of Esau. Esau, another one. He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. You're thinking, that's so stupid. Well, what are you selling? What are you enticing yourself with? What are you giving? To? Is it worth the glory of God? Is it worth what, what your salvation? It says of Esau, it says of him in Hebrews 12, 17, great verse to write down. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. And it tells us in Numbers eleven thirty four these complainers, they just ended up being in the graveyard. They just fell to the wayside. And they didn't finish good, and they never experienced the rest that the Lord had for them. In fact, Peter would say in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents, I love that, and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they ex uh, uh, accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. So again, stop it. We need to bring it to the Lord tonight in communion. The second thing he tells us, look at verse seven, and do not become idolaters as some of them did. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul will say it again, flee from idolatry. And John, in 1 John, he says the same thing to Christians, to the church, flee idolatry. 
See, it was a big problem in Corinth. I mean, it said in the Greek, you know, in that, uh, with Greeks and Athens and, and being in Corinth, there were, there were more statues, there were more idols than, than people. And I look at this text here, and I can relate to this because we live in Babylon. There's idols all over the place. An idol is not something you wear around your neck. It's not something, it's not a statue. An idol could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be, uh, you know, it could be anything. Sports, Hollywood, entertainment, politics. I see people today, they're like, I hope he finishes early. I want to see the nine, what is it? Trump's going to speak at, at nine o'clock. You know, politics, that's their thing. That's the answer today. No, it's not. It's Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 14, 3, God told the prophets, he says, son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. And I think, you know, especially after the whole COVID thing and we're, we're hooked into Netflix and we're hooked into all these other things. I remember at our church, uh, there, there was, uh, for, for Easter, I had them do something different. I basically had them write down the sin that, you know, they, they, had, you know they, they struggled with. And I wanted them to come, throw it in the garbage, take communion, take to their seats and say, that's it, no more. Well, we took the basket and we looked at those sins. <laughs> You know, I didn't put their names down. I told them not to put, but we looked at them and I'm telling you, pornography, alcohol, these were the things. And this is what, this is what uh, the, the Bible's talking about. These things that you've embraced, that you've let in to your life and they're messing you up. I hope you don't show this to our church. No, they know. <laughs> I said this already. See, God deserves our attention. You know, the, the commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is earth beneath and the water underneath. He covered everything. You shall not bow to them nor serve them. We're to love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is what the Bible tells us. And this is why Paul is telling us this was Israel at this time. Israel, I, I mean, they didn't, Moses, Moses and Joshua didn't even come down with the Ten Commandments. This is what it's talking about. You know the scene. You know, uh, the people are complaining. It's been 40 days. Where's Moses? Where's Joshua? And it says there, the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. And in that scene, it basically says there in Exodus 32 that the people began, they said, Aaron, make us a God to serve. And he makes this holy cow and they're saying, this is the God that freed us out of Egypt. You know how sad that is, how pathetic that is? This is the God? No, it was Jehovah. And God judged the people. In fact, it says some 3,000 people were killed that day. God would tell us here to come back to him with all our hearts, with all our minds. The third thing he tells us here, verse eight, let us, or, or, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000. He's telling us here, we're not to have any kind of sex outside of marriage. That's what the Bible tells us. He's created the place. He's told us the place where it's acceptable. It's, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, he tells us earlier, flee sexual immorality. He's not saying this to the world. He's saying this to the church. 
And I want you to know, he knows what he's talking about. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, Paul says there. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And I remember as a young Christian studying that and saying, why is God so, you know, he, he creates us with these hormones. He's created us with this testosterone, all these things. Why, why, why has he got a problem with it? Because God knows he created in such a way he knows. And it says that when we sin against him, when we do it our own way, we sin against our own body. In fact, listen to how Proverbs 6 says it. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. You're destroying your soul. You're taking away a piece of yourself. I remember, you know, just saying that now. I remember in high school in the locker room. I got a piece of her, or you know, today, I got a piece of him. This, this is how we talk. And then Paul even told this same church here, he says, know we not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Three times he tells them, you, are the, you have the Spirit of God living in you, so when you lay with that person, you bring the Spirit of God with you. I love in Proverbs 6, 27, can a man hold fire to his chest and not be burned? I've seen this lived out. 30 years being a pastor, I've seen it lived out. People that thought they were smarter than God. I'm not going to get caught. I could tell you story. It's amazing. Your sin will find you out. Chapter 722, you're like an ox going to the slaughter. I always think of that ox that has the bell. Ding, ding, ding. Guess what? They're coming. The butcher's ready for you. It will ruin you. In fact, in this text, Paul is, again, alluding to the time in Numbers 25 when some 23,000 Israelites were killed in one day for such a sin. When people say, well, you know, what does God think about sexual sin? Well, he thinks it's pretty serious because 23,000 people were killed in one day. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled but fornicators and adulterers will be judged. Mark that. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. I had Ephesians 5.3, over and over again, God tells us, stop it. And I'm telling you, stop it. It will destroy you. Number four, and I gotta hurry. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Now, it's interesting. The NIV will say, uh, nor let us test Christ. The New American Standard says, stop trying Christ. Now, what, what is that about? Well, Paul again here is actually speaking about a specific time in Israel's history when they tested God. But then when you study the scriptures, they were constantly testing God. In fact, in Numbers 21.5 is what Paul's alluding to here. It says there, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained, there is nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manner. They were constantly complaining to God. They were actually saying to God, God, you really don't care about us. You know, I, I, I sometimes catch myself. I got nothing to wear today, and I look in my closet, and I got all these clothes. I come home, my, you know, open the refrigerator. I got a lot of food in my, I got nothing to eat. Liz, there's nothing to eat here. It's like, God, help us. We test God. We put God to the test. God, you're not providing for 
me, Lord. And this is, this is, this is what it's talking about. You've, you've constantly put God to the test. And God tells the people of Israel, for 40 years, you tested my patience. You know, there's some of us here, maybe here today, We've been testing God. What do you mean, Bob? You've been testing God. You've been testing God's patience. See, he's been good. He's been kind to you. And you think it's okay to do that sin. You know it's sin, but you're doing it anyway. And you're testing the patience of God. Because that's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira did in Acts chapter 5, verse 9. Because uh, Peter said, then Peter said in Acts 5, 9, he says, Peter said to uh, to." Um, Uh, not Ananias, the wife, Sapphira, he says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Again, guilty of testing the Lord. Peter tells us in in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that's what Peter's telling us here. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, Pastor Joe Foch teach on this text. And he says there, he says, those fiery serpents that the Lord allowed, he sent, it says he sent these tents, uh, snakes, and these, these people were getting bit by these snakes and they were dying because of these snakes. Those snakes were always there. They were always there, but God protected his people from them. And... I, I, I think the same thing. I think when we open ourselves to the Lord and the Lord is speaking to us, he's trying to draw our attention, but we're so stubborn and we continue on with that sin that those whom he loves, he chastens. And he'll allow those snakes in our lives to bite us. Because if that's what it's gonna take, the Bible tells us in Hebrews ten thirty one, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's why the Lord would tell us to repent. Repent, it just simply means to get to the right thinking again, to rethink those things through and turn yourself back to the Lord. God has something better for us, for you and I. The last one, and I'm finishing on time, verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And I have to admit, I'm gonna confess to you guys here today, I'm a complainer. I complain. And, you know, sometimes we can look at it and think it's not a big deal. But that's so, really, when I think about it, I'm, I'm thinking here, you know, we, we just went through Christmas, and I have five grandchildren, and my wife's crazy. I mean that the, the, the people, the male people, they're coming every day to my house. She's constantly, so she buys all this stuff for them. And, and you know, you know, the, the, the two older ones, they, they got to a place, it was like, is that it? Is that it? You got so much. Is that it? I wanted to take the gifts from them. But you know what? I, I, I looked at that and I think, God has given us so much. And we can be like that sometimes. Is that it, God? Is that, is that it? I gave you my son. I gave you salvation. I gave you forgiveness. I am assuring you, I'm guaranteeing you heaven. Is that it? I'm going to close with this verse, Psalm 103.7. You guys know it well. It says there, David writes this. He made known his ways to Moses, but he made his acts known to the children of God. And what it's saying there is, is that the children of God, they knew the acts of God. They knew the great miracles of God. They saw them. 
but Moses knew his way. And I think this is what's going to help you to come all in. See, some of us, we're, we're still, we, we want the works. We want to see the works, God. I want to see you part the seas in my life. I, I want to see you, you know, do this in my life. But when it says that Moses saw his ways, it brings, it brings us back to Exodus 34, 6, when Moses said, now after seeing all the miracles of God, right, what does Moses say? God, that's not enough. I want to see your glory. And God says, Moses, no man can see my glory. No man can see me. If you see me, you die. And he says, but you know what, Moses? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. My glory is going to pass by you. And you're going to pop up your head, and you're going to be able to see and look at my glory. And he describes God's glory, God's way, as merciful, gracious, kind, long-suffering, patient, compassionate, full of goodness and truth. And Moses never forgot that. And I'm realizing that. As I turn 63, I'm like, you know, the body's falling apart and all those things, but I'm realizing. See, I know his ways. He's been good. He's been kind. He's so gracious. If some of you are, are wondering, you know, God, can I trust you with my heart? Can I trust you with my life? You can trust him. 44 years ago, I called on him. I said, I'll never forget it. My sister got saved, and I was, you know, we loved my sister Joni, and, but my mother calls me up. She says, your sister's in a cult, so me and my brothers, I'm like, we're going to come home. We're go we'll get her out of that cult. And I went into that church that night with my brothers, and we went up there to beat up everybody. And I'll never forget it. They just had a guitar, and they were singing that song, I Love You, and all the, the, the anger and the bitterness just left me. And I was like, wow, these people really believe this. And that night, the pastor said, for God so loved the world. But the way he said it, I heard God loved me for the very first time. Coming from a Catholic background, always, I couldn't read. So I would look at the pictures and, and see God. He always looked angry. And I was like, he should be angry. I'm, I was a bad kid. <laughs> but then to hear for the first time that God loved me. And I'll tell you, that love, that love took hold of me. And that love has never left me. In fact, that love has gotten greater and greater because he's so good, he's so kind. So I want to encourage you, Calvary Chapel, Miami. Get, get, get you up. Come on up here. He's going to lead us into communion. I'm going to take communion with you tonight. Let's let that stuff, whatever that stuff is, whatever that thing is, that weight, that encumbrance, the sin, let's, it's not worth Jesus. Nothing's worth. Jesus is the best. And he will love you and fill you in Jesus' name. Amen.